0: Hi, my name is Helio, and today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, the text known traditionally as the Lord's Prayer. Wherever Christianity has taken root, you will find Christians gathered together to read, sing, learn, and pray using the Lord's Prayer. Every Sunday morning at 1045, A group of believers gathers together across the mezzanine to worship in Spanish. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray like this. Padre nuestro que estás en los cielos, santificado sea tu nombre. Venga a nosotros tu reino. Hágase tu voluntad aquí en la tierra como en el cielo. Danos hoy nuestro pan de cada día. Perdona nuestras ofensas, así también como nosotros perdonamos a los que nos ofenden. No nos dejes caer en la tentación, mas líbranos de todo el mal. Amén. This is the word of God.
1: You may be seated. In this series we're calling Teach Us to Pray, we are turning to the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus gave his disciples, the model prayer to learn for ourselves how to pray. Now, as a pastor, there are other models that I look to, too, uh, models of what it means to be a pastor. And one of those models is preaching this morning. Now, raise your hand if you were born after 1986. All right, so those of you who raise your hands have no first-hand knowledge of Pastor John's ministry here at Faith Church. He was a senior pastor from 1976 to 1986 after which he went on to two other pastorates and then served for 10 years as an interim pastor in ministries at various churches, helping them transition from a senior pastor who had left and giving them some stability and direction while they searched for their next senior pastor. In that time, John and his wife Liz made Indianapolis their home and have been in and out of Faith Church. Uh, John Crocker just published a book on the Lord's Prayer called Divine Rendezvous, which you can find on Amazon, If you can spell rendezvous correctly, you'll be able to search and find it. And so we are thrilled to invite Dr. John Crocker up to the pulpit to share the message with us this morning. Would you join me in welcoming him?
2: Just over 42 years ago, A group of people in Broad Ripple um, invited me to come as the pastor of that church. And those people loved Liz and me. So this'll always have a special place in our hearts. The text for my sermon today is actually the shortest text I have ever used in a sermon? That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the shortest sermon. <laughs> I'll still try to get you to beat the Baptists to the buffet. <laughs> but the text is very short. It's a mere phrase. It doesn't even have a verb. Our Father, in the original text, Pater Haemon, in the Latin, Pater Noster," Father Our, that's a a literal transliteration, Father Our, sounds like something Yoda in (laughs) Star Wars would say. But these two words are the most important part of the prayer that we have heard and that we have sung. A German pastor by the name of Helmut Tillica in Stuttgart during the worst of the Allied bombing, was preaching every week, moving from place to place to places that hadn't been bombed out. And um, he said, if I do nothing else but say from the bottom of my heart, dear Heavenly Father, the main thing has already happened. Heavenly Father, that's the main thing. So, let's get inside this little verse, this little text this morning. It has some beautiful features. And I want to share them with you, if I may. The first one is, it is the children's prayer. In the gospel according to John we find Jesus being introduced in this way. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. If you are one of the all, all who received him, believed in his name, believed in Jesus as the Savior, and placed your trust in him, that's what that means. If you're one of the all, you have a right to call yourself a child of God. That's who you are. And you have the right to pray, Our Father. And you have the absolute certainty that He will listen to you. That's exciting. God our Father is the ultimate definition of fatherhood. Um, one of my favorite hymns, and I have many, but one of my favorite is the old Swedish hymn, Day by Day and with Each Passing Moment. The Swedes call it blot and dug. Hopefully, that's the right pronunciation. Uh, Day by day, I'd sing it for you, but I really want you to like the song. (laughs) It goes like this. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. That line, he whose heart is kind beyond all measure, I want to tell you, without exception, when we sing that, I get goosebumps. I get shivers. My father's heart is kind beyond all measure. That's who I'm talking to when I say, our Father. We sometimes try to define God by looking at a a very good earthly father, Uh, but All earthly fathers are way out of line, no matter how good they are. When I was just a young pup of a pastor, um, two years out of seminary, I think, a woman made an appointment to come and talk to me. And she said that um, she could not pray our father. She said that was because Her father had been a brute. He had abused her and he had told her she was nothing but trash. So she couldn't pray to our father. Well, if you don't like God calling you father because it brings pain I'm sorry, but God is not going to change his name for you. He's not going to say, Well, why don't you call me dear uncle in heaven or dear hero in heaven? It's dear father. But he doesn't behave like any earthly father. And we're the ones who have to learn. To change, we have to learn that our Father is is awesome, majestic, and way infinitely beyond the best of any human Father. So, uh, this is an intimate prayer that the children pray, Our Father. We pray it to our awesome, majestic Father. You may have heard it sometime, the little story about a prince. It's, um, It's probably apocryphal, but it's useful today, so I'll use it. His father, of course, was the king, and since his birth, His parents had uh, sheltered him from all the trappings of royalty. In his home, they were just father and mother, even though that was the king. Well, the time came to introduce this little prince to his role as part of the royal family. And so he was taken to a gala event. And he watched as people came up to his father and they bowed and they curtsied and they saluted him and they treated him with the utmost deference. And he whispered to his mother, who are those people? Why are they doing that? And she said, your father is the king. He is the most important man in the whole land. So he thought for a few minutes and then he said to her, is it okay if I still call him daddy? God is the holy, almighty ineffable, majestic sovereign of the universe. And you and I have the right to call him our father. If that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. (laughs) So it is the children's prayer to their father. A second beautiful feature is that it is a serious prayer. This is not something we pray lightheartedly, mindlessly, and God forbid, disrespectfully. In, In some homes, father is a buffoon. His wife doesn't respect him, and his children make fun of him. And truth is, sometimes we understand why that happens. In contrast, our Heavenly Father could rightly be addressed by any number of great appellations like, his eternal majesty your eternal majesty there is no one like our God we've been singing that today God proved to the worshipers um, of of Baal the pagan God Baal in the time of Elijah the prophet the uh, the worshiper of Worshippers of Baal met with Elijah on Mount Carmel and each made a sacrifice to their God. And the worshipers, the priests of Baal, they went around and, 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 and kept cutting themselves and crying out to Baal to answer them and to, to light their fire. Ah, when the time came for Elijah, he poured water on it. And then he prayed, and God zapped it like that. Fire came, and the people, all the people fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. When the Israelites uh, after their wilderness time out in the desert, prepared to cross the Jordan into the promised land, God told them through Moses that as they would now be scattering to all their tribal territories, previously they'd all clustered together in the desert. Now they were going to be scattered Far apart from one another, he gave them instructions. Uh, The Jewish people still call it the Shawa. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. And then he went on to say, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God, Israel, with all your heart and with all your soul and your mind. Jesus, when people came to Jesus and asked him, what is the greatest commandment? He referred to this one, the first and greatest commandment, and he added one more little uh, explanation. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Can you think of anything else that makes up up you, heart and soul, all of you, your whole being, you shall love the Lord your God. Jesus taught his followers that the Lord their God is their heavenly Father. But God is also our creator. God Almighty is our judge. God is uh, our king. God is our master. But he said, call him father. I'm so glad he did. What if it had been creator our creator in heaven a creator just creates things and if it gets all flawed and polluted what does a creator do he throws it on the trash heap and starts again but we have god's image in us We are his children. There's a spiritual genetic code in us. God will never throw us on a trash heap. You will never be called trash by our heavenly father. That's our God. The Bible says that we became terribly flawed, and corrupted. But we are born of God, and we have his image in us. If you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've received him and believed in his name, you have been reborn born again as the old saying is you've been born again in God's image and you are his child you can never ever be a piece of junk to God. You can never be a piece of junk to God. It's a serious prayer isn't it? Now, let's look at another one. It is the foremost prayer. No other prayer, whether formal or spontaneous, and we start a lot of prayers with our Father or Father, no other prayer must take precedence over this one. This is the first and most important prayer that any child of God can utter. Not the only one. We're supposed to pray for many. Paul said he prayed for the Ephesian church and he told how he prayed for them. We're always to be praying, we're told. John the Baptist had taught his disciples. Um, and John the Baptist had his way of teaching his di- disciples to pray. Jesus said, when you pray, and then he gave them the Lord's Prayer. It is the Lord's Prayer. It comes from the Lord. So it's his prayer for us. Now, when the disciples came and said, Lord, teach us to pray the way John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray, Jesus didn't say, uh, how did John the Baptist, what did he tell them to pray? And then listen and say, you know, that's a good prayer. Why don't you just pray John the Baptist's prayer? That's good enough. He didn't say that. It is super important that Jesus' followers pray every day. This is a day. Give us this day. This is supposed to be a daily prayer. Maybe you don't say the, it word for word, but the ingredients of the prayer should be there forgive us protect us may your reign become universal here upon earth all of those things this prayer begins by celebrating the ineffable majesty and glory of god our father in heaven and on earth and in all of the spheres of his universe, nothing comes before and above this. Now, there is within each human being something that a molecular geneticist, Dean Hamer, called a capacity for spirituality. That's part of being human, he said. It's like, I think he called it the God gene. Um, Calvin the reformer way back said, there is a sense of divinity in people. The French philosopher Blaise Pascal in his pensees in the 17th century wrote this, he said, there is an in, infinite abyss in people that can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. Now, I don't know why. Maybe it seemed to be a bit cumbersome to most people to cite it that way. So it has become There is a God-shaped void, a God-shaped vacuum in every person. And I'm sure you've heard that statement. It goes back to Blaise Pascal. It makes good sense that our foremost prayer is the only one, to the only one, who can fill the emptiness within us. If God isn't there, people feel an emptiness, and they keep going around looking, hoping that they will find something to fill the emptiness. And oh, how they try. And oh, the various things that they try to put there. Put there but nothing can fill the place in every person that God created for himself alone. And when we pray our Father, we recognize that God is in his place in our lives. One more. It is a fearless prayer Most little children are afraid of the dark. That's why they want the door kept ajar when they go to bed at night or a light on the room in on in their room because there are ugly monsters hiding under the bed or in the closet and they need to have a light on. Well, we, you know, we never get over the fear of darkness. It takes various forms it matures, but it's still there. We don't like to walk in complete darkness where we cannot see what's there. We may fall. There may be dangers that assault us. We don't like Complete darkness. Nobody does. No normal person does. Well, Jesus said he is the light of the world. And the Apostle John said that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. That's in 1 John 1. The Apostle Paul wrote that believers are children of the light and of the day. Why is this so important? Satan, the devil, has trapped people. That's what he came into the world to do, to try and take control. And he has trapped people in the darkness of sin. But... Through Jesus Christ, whom God sent into the world as the light, God rescues people from the dominion of darkness and brings them into the kingdom of his dear son. That's Colossians 1 verse 13 stated very explicitly. Satan does not have control over those who can rightly say our father. The devil has no control. Oh, he's still a very dangerous nuisance. He goes like, around like a roaring lion looking for people to devour. Peter wrote that to Christians. So we've got to be on guard and tell him to beat it. That's my paraphrase of what it says. Yeah, my favorite flower, um, it still is after many years. The wild California golden poppy. When we lived out there, I used to love certain time of the year, certain time of day, driving along and seeing a hillside lush, with these golden poppies turned to the sun. Radiant, beautiful, just a blaze on the hillside. But on cloudy days and at night, those poppies become just a tiny little tight spiral and the hillside doesn't look good at all. The darkness controls them. But when the light comes in, in the morning, they open up their fullness to the light. This illustrates our lives. The devil held us in the darkness of his dominion. And then the light of Christ through the love of the gospel, came in and eliminated the darkness and flooded into our souls. And we can turn toward God and worship him with our countenance ablaze with the wonder of our great God. So there is nothing more beautiful to me than human beings who have been rescued from the devil's dark power, turning and worshiping God with their whole being. It's beautiful to see that. They focus their worship on truth. So this is a prayer of confidence, that we can come to our God and his light has shone in our lives. We always need God. If we don't, we shrivel up and abound in darkness, waiting for the light. I remember teaching our son, Des, to ride a bicycle. He was just a little tyke and we got him the tiniest bicycle we could find with uh, training wheels, he, he wanted a bicycle. So he'd pedal away with the training wheels and then he'd say, okay, let's get rid of the training wheels. I thought he was much too small for it, but I did it. And then I'd run behind him and hold the the seat while he peddled away. And uh, sometimes he would tip and I'd have to straighten him up. Once or twice he fell, I'd have to pick him up and get him started again. But then the time came when he had confidence and he could say, You can let go now, Daddy. I can do it all by myself. We never say that to God. Because he's never going to let go. (laughs) Oh, I love that. There's a song we sing, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. At one of the churches I served as an interim pastor, a woman who was on staff had a daughter who was going to go away to college for her first year. And her mother wanted to find a tiny bicycle and go to her daughter's dorm room and hang it on the wall. With her daughter's permission, of course. But it was to be a reminder. We'll always be there for you will always be behind you. You can count on us. The symbol of the bicycle on the wall. So God our Father never lets go of us. When God is truly your Father, you're not just one of number, millions of people around the world who've repented of sin and placed their trust in Jesus Christ and have the right to call God Father. You're not just one of the million to God. He knows you and he knows your name. You've heard of George Foreman. For some of you, George Foreman means an electric griddle, and that's (laughs) all. But for others, you know that George Foreman was the two-time world champion of boxing. Well, George had 12 children, seven daughters and five sons. He called every one of his sons George. It was George Junior, George the third, George the fourth, George the fifth, George the <laughs> sixth. He even called one of his daughters, Georgetta. <laughs> uh, now, I don't know why exactly he did it. I've heard different things. But you know, if he called George, He'd be right. <laughs> I can understand fathers getting the names of their children mixed up. I've been seen it where dad says, Hey, Jim, and say, dad, I'm Joe. Oh, sorry. You know, get them mixed up. Um, I am proud to say that I never did that, not even once. In his 42 years, our son, Des, never heard me call him by his brother's name. He doesn't have a brother. (laughs) God not only knows each one of us by name, He always watches out for his children to reach out to us and cleans us up. When we mess up, that's our loving father. We read in Luke's gospel a parable that Jesus told about the lost son. Not the prodigal son, the lost son. Prodigal essentially means to be outrageously generous, effusively extravagant. It sometimes has the nuance of being irresponsibly so, but that is the essential meaning of it. So in that story, it was the father who was the prodigal. Who watched for his wayward son who had gone off and ruined his life and was a despicable wretch? And he said, Maybe I can go back to my father and maybe he'll show some mercy and give me a job as the lowliest servant. And you know what happened. His father was watching for him, and he ran to him, and he embraced him. Welcome home, son. And he gave him the finest clothes, and he threw a party for him. His wayward son had come home. Jesus gave that as an illustration to teach how God treats his children, his children who may rebel and make a mess of their lives and then think, could I turn back to God? That's the answer. That's why I love that song that we sang a little while ago. Oh, I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. Light of the world, forever reign. Do you need to run to his arms today? They're open wide for you, no matter what you've done.